Welcome to Hang Out in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your SB Nation site, covering all things Ohio State Athletics 24-7, 365. My name is Matt Tamanini, and I'm joined today by Land Grant's own Grant freaking Grant. Holy crap, what the hell just happened, man? We are back, baby. We are back. <laughs> Buckeye basketball is back. We're going to get to that in full because that was one of the most exciting games that I can remember in a decade at Value City Arena. We're going to spin that forward and see what that might mean for the rest of the Big Ten season. But first, let's get some housekeeping out of the way. You can find all episodes of Hangout in the Holy Land at LandGrantHolyLand.com, as well as on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else that you get high-quality podcasts. You can also now follow this very show on Twitter at HolyLandPod. You can also follow the site at LandGrant33 and on Facebook at LandGrantHolyLand. I'm on Twitter at BWWMatt, and Grant is at GrantFreaking. That's Grant, F-R-E-K-I-N-G, no A in the last name, right? That's how it works? That's right. right, Okay, good. All right, so Grant, let's talk about this game because um, we were planning on doing this podcast, you know, right after the game ended, win or lose. But what a game to talk about, especially now where, I mean, we're less than a half an hour after that game wrapped up. Um, Both Ohio State and Michigan State came into the game undefeated in their first three games of conference play. But Sparty, with good reason, had a lot more street cred than the Buckeyes as they were ranked number one in the country. But Chris Holtman and Kata Bates-Diop pulled off the unthinkable by coming out with an 80-64 victory that honestly wasn't that close. Other than the first few minutes of the game when the Spartans put on a little bit of a run, shot really well. The Buckeyes dominated. So from your perspective, on a, on a macro level, what did Ohio State do to give them a chance to pull off the upset of the number one team in the country? So well prepared was what comes to mind. It, it seems like Holtman and his staff either thought up of some new wrinkles to their offense and maybe some defensive coverages um, that I noticed in my very novice basketball mind um, or either uh, just saved things for this game. Um, because Ohio State got a ton of looks, even in, when the half court wasn't revolving around dumping it into Wesson, uh, Caleb Wesson, that is, or you know, ISO and K debates Diop against Jaron Jackson Jr., which I, which was a matchup I thought could be a problem for, for yeah. debates Diop given Jackson's length. You know, he's someone who's you know bigger and longer than even KBD is. Um, but then they just started making shots, man. And Michigan State got some open looks, but Ohio State was rotating well defensively. It seems like um, they, they were they were on a string. And man, they just played really well. You know, it's like like you mentioned, that was a well deserved win. It wasn't. You know, Ohio State's beaten top ten, top five, top ten teams even over the last couple of years when they've really struggled at times under Thad Mata and the old staff. But they never have they looked as impressive as they did today. Yeah, and and kind of like you said, when you're going to pull off an upset like this as an unranked team against the number one team in the country, a lot has to go your way. You have to be playing very well. You have to have a standout performance a lot of times from your stud, which they got, and your opponent has to not play their best game, whether that means, as I think the broadcast uh, kind of alluded to, that they were less excited about the game than Ohio State was. I, I don't know, but Ohio State clearly outplayed Michigan State, when you talk about the shooting differentials if for the game total, Ohio State shot 52.5% from the field, while Michigan State shot only 39%. And that's even amplified in the second half when Ohio State shot 63.6%, which is absurd because when I, you know, we didn't talk before the season started, but I thought if this team was going to win, it was going to have to grind things out 
because they just didn't have the talent to match up with someone like Michigan State. But obviously, a lot of that comes through Kata Bates the up, and he was the biggest difference in this game, scoring 32 points and picking up seven rebounds as well. He was 12 for 21 from the field. Uh, he's turned in from a guy who, coming off of last season when he was injured for much of uh, you know for most of the year, didn't really get to play a whole lot, and he's now to me. Somebody who is in the conversation for Big Ten Player of the Year, depending on how things go with the rest of the season, and clearly there's a lot of games to be played. If Ohio State keeps playing like this, he could be someone who's National Player of the Year candidate, and he could be someone who gets drafted a lot higher into the NBA than we maybe thought he had the potential to do coming into this year. Sure, yeah. Now, Not only are we, I think, shifting our expectations upward of this team, um, because we know we're we're three months into the season now, you know, and they've played some good teams. Even the games they've lost, they've looked pretty good. And for at least Absolutely. portions of yeah. them, against you know, Gonzaga is the only game that comes to mind where they were totally whitewashed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but but KBD's, yeah, he's starting to look like the college version of Kawhi Leonard right now. Just he's I think he's something Holdman has mentioned all year long is how he's wanted. You know, KBD of course has developed his offensive game, but he's looking for the consistent effort defensively, and that was definitely there today. His length was a big time problem for anyone. He was matched up against Michigan State. And you're right, he's he's the front runner for Big Ten Player of the Year today, especially since Miles Bridges was a no-show today in the, today's game for Michigan State. He's he's certainly a candidate for first-team All-American. And, and if Ohio State finishes in the top three or four uh, of the Big Ten at the end of the year, I mean, I don't see any reason why he couldn't be National Player of the Year if no one else, you know, I mean, we're ignoring the things that Trey sure. Young is doing over in Oklahoma. He's, he's probably the clear front runner at this point. You know, but if KBD keeps piling up the 30-point games and, and scoring, he scored 27 at Iowa earlier this week in a big mm-hmm. win, you know, he could, he could certainly close the gap a bit. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and and it's exciting. You know, I think one of the things that in our in our Slack chat channel for, for Land Grant, we were just talking throughout the whole game about this is fun. You know, it's something yeah. we talked a lot about on the podcast and on, Land, uh, on the site as well, is that as much as I respect the hell out of Thad Mata, his teams the last few years, maybe since D'Angelo Russell was gone and maybe even since before that, they haven't been a lot of fun to watch. Can you pinpoint what it is about this team that makes them enjoyable, even if they don't have as much talent as some of the previous teams or any of the, you know, KBD aside, any huge names, you know, going back mm-hmm. to like the Mike Conley and Greg Oden times. But what is it about this team that makes them so much fun for you to watch on a you know a, a weekly basis. I think it's it's the upgrades in the non-quantifiable categories. They're well coached now. It seems like they're they're well prepared for every game. Um, the effort is consistent game to game. You know, save for a couple of maybe uh, dud halves when they were playing some Ken Palm no, number two hundred ranked non-conference team in December when they're a little disinterested, which is forgivable. The, the effort's consistently there. Um, it seems like they're they have. An identity on offense. I mean, that's easy. Give it the ball to KBD sometimes and get out of the way. But no, in all seriousness, it, it just Holman's brought some stability. You know, I think his assistant coaching staff is much stronger than what Mata had towards the end of his tenure. Um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think some of those Mata assistants may not even have jobs anymore or yeah. have, have not picked up jobs elsewhere. I'm not sure on that. But it's just, it's just some, some, some youthful invigoration into it. You know, Mata's health, of course, is, was a big topic at the end of his tenure, and I don't think he could physically coach these guys as well as he could. You know, it wasn't anything he could do. You know, I don't think he could physically get out on the court and show these guys what needed to be done sometimes. You know, and then also um, a couple of the guys that had been on the team the last couple of years are not there anymore, you know, specifically Mark Loving and Trevor Thompson, who had – Plenty of talent, but the effort wasn't always there with those guys and a couple other um, 
guys who aren't in the program any, aren't with the program anymore. And so it's just an all encompassing thing that seems to be to, to be lifting this program up. I mean, the shot was was rocking today. When was the last time you could say that? <laughs> I know. I, I I wrote the recap that's on Land Grant now, and we'll put a link into the show notes here uh, in the podcast. But like. I went. I went to Ohio State. I'm old. I went. I started at Ohio State in 1999. So I, you know, Scooney Penn was the point mm-hmm. guard when I was, you know, starting my Ohio State career. And at times, Thad Mata had teams that were really exciting, but it still always felt like they were trying to get the fan base on board. Now, granted, they've since made some changes to where students sit in the shot that's happened over the last few years, and they've tried to make things a little less donor friendly and more student friendly there. But man, it just felt sure. like anytime the Buckeyes went on a run, it sounded like a football crowd. Anytime the Spartans went on a run, it felt to me just watching like the team was able to rely on the crowd to give them that little boost. And anytime they did something right and they were able to kind of turn the tide a little bit, the it was it was in big part because of the crowd. So I think it's it's cyclical. It's something that when Holtman got to Columbus, it was something that he said he wanted to re-engage with the crowd, with the students specifically. I mean, he did, you know, did something, I forget exactly what it was, you might remember, where he was like giving away free pizzas or, you know, come and hang out with him and, and eat pizza or something. You know, so there's definitely a concerted effort, and I think it it showed in this game, which is the biggest game in the shot in, in years. You mentioned, you know, in passing, Ken Palm's uh, ranking, Ken Pomeroy at KenPom.com ranks, you know, has all these great advanced statistics. Coming into this game, you had Ohio State as the 37th ranked team in the country. Obviously, Michigan State was number one. Obviously, you have to assume that with this kind of win, Ohio State's going to move up. And earlier on, you mentioned that our expectations are evolving for this team. So we saw this game. Ohio State dominated really almost from like the five minute mark in. But as we mentioned, the, you know, the Buckeyes had a reason to be more excited about this game than the Spartans did. So what do you think this means for the next week and maybe two weeks from that as Ohio State starts to realize that they're a contender and other people start to realize that they're a contender? I think it's another test of of Colt Holtman and his, and his staff of whether they can keep this sustained, whether they can keep these guys who haven't experienced this type of of notoriety and success and years uh, level headed. Because they've got another tough game coming up, and I think, I think the next game is what Thursday at home against Maryland, a good Maryland team. Right. But I think they did lose uh, Jackson. There's Justin Jackson. That's yeah. his name. I think he's out for the season. But they're still a very tough team. You know, there's a chance for them to go on a little run. You know, um, they play a lot of their, their the Big Ten schedule is very front loaded at home. Um, they even have a stretch from later this month uh, until like the fourth of February where they play four straight conference games at home. And the the game before that is a is a neutral site game in Madison Square Garden versus Minnesota, which will basically probably be a, be a home game for them with Ohio State fans. Uh, probably you know a lot of them being in, in New York yeah. City. So it's a chance for them to really elevate themselves. You know, the Big Ten's catching a little bit of flack for being down this year, and I think deservedly so. But Ohio State's got wins over Wisconsin, which before today was uh, 77 in Ken Palm. Michigan was 33. Iowa was 86. Those teams should inch up, inch up a little bit as the Big Ten season goes along. And now you can add number one Michigan State to that list. Had they lost this Michigan State game, perhaps we're in a scenario when in March they're ruining missed wins over Clemson and Butler, both of which are top 40 ranked Ken Palm teams. But they also don't have any bad losses, and they won't have any bad losses in the Big Ten because what the Big Ten lacks for maybe in strength at the top and maybe even a strong middle is there are really no really terrible teams at the bottom, like like Rutgers and um, 
in Penn State uh, yeah. going back to yesteryear. But those teams are, are real teams now. Yeah. They're real college basketball teams. Um, <laughs> another thing that was overlooked coming into today was um, Ohio State's strength of schedule. Um, it was much stronger than Michigan State's coming into this point. So perhaps this is the rare occasion where Ohio State, which has been for so many years docked for playing a really weak non-conference schedule, was actually more tested. Even though they are playing at home, they were more tested than Michigan State coming into this game, which Michigan State, I think their, their non-conference schedule was ranked like 217 in Ken Palm, and Ohio State's, was, I think, was 74. Yeah. Well, and what that that's really interesting to me because, obviously, Chris Holtman got to Columbus far after, you know, any of the scheduling decisions had been made. But he is trying to kind of change course on a lot of things, including scheduling, that Thad Mata did. And what was interesting to me, and it kind of stuck out to me um, because it made me nervous uh, in this game against Michigan State, was that for whatever reason, whether it was to avoid foul trouble or his conditioning still not there, Holtman would sit Caleb Wesson at his normal times, whether Ohio State was up, whether Michigan State was having a comeback. And fortunately, Micah Potter, who... You know, he's he's a body, but he's he's getting healthy. So he was trying to get him more uh, more minutes to spell Caleb Wesson in this game. However, as you noted uh, before, or as you noted during the game, he was picking up a foul a minute and he was only played, I think, uh, in the by the time the game was over. He only had four minutes and he had four fouls. So he wasn't able to right. give us a whole lot. So what was interesting to me is that. Thad Mata notoriously in big games and as the Big Ten season went on, he shrank his bench. And that didn't happen here, which was crazy. Instead of putting Wesson back into the game before he'd gotten all the rest that Holtman wanted him to and Potter was picking up fouls, he put Kyle Young into guard, you know, ward down low or somebody else. Like he was he was right. putting him in to be a big, even though he's maybe a I mean, he's a three, maybe a four, um, but he was letting him battle. I mean, he's six, eight, but he's a freshman who's a 205 pounds playing down low in the Big Ten. I, it was really interesting to me that Holtman didn't panic. He stuck to his guns. He wanted Potter to be in there, but was, if that wasn't the case, he was going to let Young go in there and eat up some minutes so that in the stretch, if Caleb Wesson needed to be in the game to, you know, to to help swing the game in Ohio State's favor, he was available. So it was really interesting to me that that was the exact opposite of kind of what we saw mm -hmm. for a decade right. with that motto. Yeah, and, and perhaps this is a one-game thing, uh, but you saw, I think you're seeing continued growth from not only Katie bates Dia but some of the other secondary players on the team. Caleb Wesson, I think, you know, he had a rough start. Um, I think he, he he blew some some early one-on-one -on -one matchups mm -hmm. with Nick Ward where he I think he just rushed a little bit in the paint, but they kept feeding him and they kept feeding him and he he eventually got more comfortable down in the paint. I think they, by showing confidence in him, he grew in confidence, and then he was he was you know dishing the ball out. There was the the pass at the very end, the last couple minutes of the game where where Kade Bates up cut baseline and it was a little flip pass, almost a no looker for a dunk, and it was just great great to see the showing and the showing confidence there, and Wesson and and guys like Kyle Young who who you know. He, he, he was a body who could, who could at least get his arms up and get in the way of Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges and, and Nick Ward and a couple of guys to buy some minutes. You know, CJ Jackson, I think, had a really good game today. I don't think he turned the ball over once. He did not. Um, he, he's, he's, he's asserted himself well. Um, and he's a guy that you would always read about playing really well in practice, even, you know, going back to last year, but could never really quite put together in games. But he's been pretty strong for the most part this year. And then, holy cow, Andrew Dockich is, <laughs> is becoming a serviceable member of this team. Um, yeah. 
I, I, I don't I don't know what that means. Uh, at, it, yeah. it, we did a we did a preseason podcast here I, I, when I talked with Lori Schmidt, and she told me that Chris Holtman said that he was going to rely on Dockich a lot, and that made me laugh. I like it. I legitimately laughed out loud when she said that. But she sent me a message the other day and said, "Hey, I guess I know what I'm talking about because Dockich has turned in to be not a guy you want to score. That three pointer at the end of the first half was." ridiculous but that's the only basket he had that was the only shot he took yet he turned in 13 minutes which is probably less than he's averaging of quality point guard play against you know the best team in the country if you would have told me that at the beginning of the season i would have obviously laughed at you sure yeah and it's 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 prepare for a cliche split out because I don't even half believe in some of the stuff I'm about to say, but the guys, it seems like the younger guys really, really take to him. He's always the one grabbing, you know, getting them huddled together. And they're actually, you know, looking him in the eye. It seems like they're believing what he's spitting to them. Perhaps it's because he came, he came from a successful program at Michigan state or Michigan, excuse me, where he may not have played a lot, but he was part of the team. And then, so they know him from that. Um, a lot of the guys probably actually know him from the AAU circuit because he's from Indianapolis. Yeah. But you know, it's, it just provides all the little, the little, you know, the little spots where maybe things are spinning out of control, just, okay, let's calm down a little bit, you know? And then of course today he was the author of one of the many lasting images of this game with his buzzer, buzzer beater, you know, falling in line next to CJ Jackson's ankle breaking dribble and, you know, Cam Williams backdoor dunk to open up second half and anything that Kata Bates did. Yeah. Well, and I think to go to your point about how much the team respects him and has embraced him, the reaction that he got at the end of that first half when that bank shot went in was pretty impressive. Now, granted, that's an exciting moment. They're beating the number one team in the country. They hit this crazy three at the end of the half. But, mm-hmm. you know, that picture of them kind of swarming him and being excited for everything else that's going on, but being excited that it was that guy that did it, uh, really tells you a lot about what this team's chemistry is. So much kind of as you hinted around, and I think you were being diplomatic and rightly so, but so much of what marred the end of the Thad Mata era was the fact that the guys that should have been the leaders on the team just weren't We're built not. to be leaders. And I, and that's not, and, and I'm actually not mad at them for that. Someone like, uh, like Mark Loving, who was Mr. Ohio basketball, great talent, ended up having a pretty good senior year last year. He just was not meant to be a leader. Trevor Thompson, a guy who ended up having, I think, a fantastic year, and I wish he was still on this team because I think they legitimately could be a Big Ten title contender uh, if they're not already, if he was still here. But he just wasn't a leader either. And then you had guys like Jaquan Lyle who kind of really kind of messed with the chemistry of the team. But this team this season looks like they enjoy each other, looks like they like playing together. And they play unselfishly because of that. And that's something I think that kind of goes to the question I asked earlier about what makes this team enjoyable to watch is that they play like a team, whether this is because of the players that we've had in the past or Mata's system, like they're actually running an offense now, which is not something I think we saw in the last few years of the Mata era. So it just it's it's just to me, the difference is one, they have Kata Bates-Diep, who I think is one of the best players in the league. But two, it's they're playing like a cohesive unit, which I don't think we've seen in the last few years from the Buckeye basketball team. Sure. And I think if Thad Mata were to jump in on this podcast, be like, all this stuff, half of the stuff would go away if I just had Kata Bates D up last year. I'd still have a job. Absolutely. But no, it's, no, you're right. And there was, there was certainly a malaise. And it's, it's one of those things where I think we're even having trouble to put a finger on it now, but it just felt stale the last couple of years. And credit to Gene Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he made an unpopular move at a really unpopular time. Randomly in the middle of the, the summer recruiting cycle, I think it was June 
I wrote it down here, June 5th of last year. And people were, you know, I think I remember us talking on the Slack chat with other people from Land Grant, like how, who are they going to get in June that could possibly, I mean, we were, we all sat through the last couple of years and we, we thought perhaps it was time for a change, but in June, last year and it's and it's worked out beautifully for them so far so another thing just some real quick stats that i want to run through from this michigan state game before we start talking about the rest of the season one of the things that was really a bugaboo for the buckeyes early in the season was how much they turned the ball over in this game against michigan state they turned the ball over a total of six times three in the first half three in the second half that's compared to 12 total turnovers from the spartans they turned it over nine times in the first half only three in the second half, but obviously Ohio State was looking at the game in a much different light in the second half. Another thing was that even though I, I think if you look at the sizes of who was in the game for the most time between Ohio State and Michigan State, the total rebounds were only a 38 to 33 advantage for Michigan State. I think that goes a lot to describe who Jay Sean Tate is and who Kata Bates Diop, uh, Diop are as players. Tate only had three rebounds, but he's a guy that gets in there and mixes it up. C.J. Jackson had six. Cam Williams had four. Um, It's a team that is gritty and will go in and play. Even when they're overmatched, just physically overmatched, they're going to go in there and fight. And I already talked about the shooting. Um, It was just really an all-around near-perfect performance by this team. Is there anything in your mind that stands out from this game specifically that we need to, to mention before looking forward? I think you just enjoy it, man. Like this is one of those wins where you kind of, instead of just, you know, what is, what is Belichick saying? Like Rhonda, whomever, like, enjoy this one, man. Enjoy this one for a day and then get in and then start thinking about Maryland. But yeah, I think another number that doesn't stick out from the game uh, I looked up before uh, the game started is seven. And that's the amount of big 10 teams that have made the NCAA tournament the last three years. And before this win, I was kind of thinking it's like, there's going to be there's not there, there's no way the Big Ten's getting seven teams no. this year. It's just not not strong enough. Maybe maybe five or six. And you're thinking like, okay, if Ohio State doesn't win this game, the Big Ten's a little on the mediocre side. Yeah, you can't get a bad loss. But if some weird stuff happens, could they be on the last on the line there? Um, CBS and Jerry Palm had them in before today's games, um, and and actually Maryland as as one of the last four in. But yeah, Joe Lenardi from ESPN had them, had Ohio State as one of the last four out, I believe. That's obviously changing today. They would be in the tournament today for sure. Um, I'm curious to think what you think about, you know, do you think they're for sure in now, I, you know, concerning they've just displayed some consistency for the most part of the season now? And should we just start talking about seeding now? <laughs> no, let's not do that. Let, I'm knocking on wood. That's not jinx anything there, Grant. Um, you, know, you know, I think the last time we did a basketball podcast, I talked with Kyle McKinnon and I said, I, you know, I thought they were a 20 win team at that point, which is a couple weeks ago. And I think they would be one of those last-in, first-out teams going into the Big Ten tournament. At this point, because of the way that their schedule breaks down, I think you have to say that they have to play themselves out at this point. I think they are clearly in uh, at this point, but they'll have to see what happens. You know, they're tied. They're the only undefeated team in conference along with Purdue, and they don't play Purdue for a month, and they only play them once. So, you know, mm-hmm. the way this schedule breaks down, you mentioned the the streak of, of home games, but if you look at They've got Maryland, Rutgers, and Northwestern before they go to Madison Square Garden to take on Minnesota. Those are teams that all have double-digit wins already at this season. If you would have told me that Rutgers had 11 wins you know, by the first week of January, I would have thought you were crazy. But those are other quality wins before they go to Minnesota and then you know, they, we talked about Nebraska and Penn State. So I think that they can 
none of these teams really scare you anymore after they've beaten Michigan State. So you have to think that what 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 gets them in? Twenty two wins, tw- you know, including the Big Ten tournament. Does that get them in automatically? Do you think? It's probably something around there. You know, I mean, they're four and zero in conference play right now. There's a scenario where they're where they're ten and two or nine and three going into that trip to West Lafayette on February seventh. Yeah. And at that point, you're all they have to do is basically avoid disaster, and I think they're in. You know, even if they fall to something like twelve and six, which I think is certainly feasible. I mean, yeah. I would almost be a little half disappointed if they fell off the wagon a little bit there. I mean, that would be like an injury coming along into play or something. But you know, it's the the, the with Maryland coming in. It's not as foreboding as years past. Going to Indiana, yeah. not as foreboding as years past. And the flip side of that, Penn State tougher than years past. Purdue still really tough to play against. So, so again, like we talked about earlier, it's it's more everyone's at, at the same playing field, talent wise, in, in the league more so than I can remember in a long time in, in in Big Ten play. All right, so let's do this. Let's um, let's count through the rest of the games on the Ohio State schedule. They are currently thirteen and four, uh, four right. and zero in the Big Ten. Off the top of your head, just tell me if this is a win or a loss, so we can see where you think Ohio State ends up. Uh, you know, from this point, obviously subject to change with injuries and all that stuff. So this Thursday, they play a 13 and four Maryland team at uh, at Value City Arena. Win or loss? Win. Okay. Then on Sunday, they go to Piscataway, New Jersey, to take on an 11 six Rutgers team. Win or loss? Win. Okay. Then uh, next Wednesday or a couple Wednesdays, January 17th, they go to the Rose or it's the Allstate Arena. Um, used to be the, the the old Rosemont and Rosemont, Illinois, because Northwestern is renovating their home arena. So they're not actually playing on Northwestern's campus. Northwestern, despite getting to the tournament last year, is now 10 and 7. Is that a win or a loss for Ohio State? I say loss, but I think mostly because that's that's too that's a very short time for back-to-back road games, two long road trips, mm-hmm. and what we could be having uh, Ohio State could be playing a really desperate Northwestern team looking for a big win. Okay, there. fair enough. So that would put them at fifteen and five. So then that's the takes us to the most famous arena in the world to take on the Minnesota Golden Gophers in New York City. They are thirteen and four. What do you think about that game, especially since you noted? that it is probably going to be a uh, a home game for Ohio State. We'll go win. Okay, so that's 16 and 5. Then they come back home just 2 days later to take on a, an 11 and 6 Nebraska team. Let's go win. All right. So then later that week it's Thursday, January 25th, my parents' anniversary, they host a, a 12 and 5 Penn State team. They're going to lose a game at some point during the stretch and I'll, and I'll pick Penn State here just because they've got some really talented scorers at the guard position. Yeah. Okay, so the following week they uh, they host a nine and seven Indiana team, win or loss. That's a win. Okay, then um, on February fourth they again host the Illinois Fighting Illini, who's ten and seven at this point in the season. That's a win. Okay, and then that takes us to West Lafayette on February seventh. At this point, you have Ohio State as nineteen and six. Never would have dreamed that up. No. <laughs> No, not at all. I would have thought at the beginning of the season, 19 wins was a decent thing for the entire season. So what do you what are you thinking? Uh, it, it, the only time Ohio State plays Purdue all season is is on the road, much like the only time they played Michigan State this season was at home. Uh, what are you thinking about this game? I think this could be a real this could be the possibly one of the games of the year of the entire Big Ten slate. Ohio State's got the matchup advantage with KBD, no matter who's who's guard them in the in league play. Having said that, I, I probably expect a close loss here. Purdue perhaps still, you know, still going for the league title. You know, Vince Edwards, Dakota yeah. Mathias, 
that, that some of their guards have, have come along to despite some departures. I, I think I'd like Purdue in this game. Okay. So uh, then that following Saturday, Ohio State is back at home hosting a currently 9-8 and eight Iowa team who they've already beaten once. Right. And they'll get a win there, too. Okay. Then they travel to uh, Happy Valley to take on Penn State that Thursday. Well, if they, if they drop a home game against Penn State earlier in the slate, they're not going to – I don't think they'll, they'll lose one in Happy Valley. Okay. Then they make the return trip to Ann Arbor. Uh, Michigan will clearly be looking for revenge in that game. Again, Michigan is currently 14-3 and with one of their losses being to this Ohio State team. Am I allowed to say a loss on, against Michigan yeah. on the blogs? Yeah, I mean, we've already won yeah, one. Ohio State's already yeah. won one, so, you know, splitting is right. not yeah, bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's, right. that's two, it's two tough road trips in basically three and a half days. A lot of travel for college kids in that short of time, so we'll go loss there for Michigan, who may could be fighting for a tournament berth. We don't know. It's too early to tell, but that possibility exists, too. Yeah. And then uh, they'll finish the season by uh, with two last games. First, the last home game um, will be hosting uh, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights on a senior night. Yeah. If they're not losing on what will be also de facto, uh, KBD is yeah. probably de facto senior night too. So not, they're not losing that with the Rutgers. Right. And then they've ended the season in Bloomington, Indiana. Let's go win there. So it's always nice to win in Bloomington. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, saying they're only going to have three more losses this season is incredibly optimistic, but I also think it's probably fair at this point. So if that all breaks down and unless my math screwed up somewhere, which is completely possible because I'm a moron, <laughs> That puts them at 23 and 8. They are clearly in the tournament with that, barring whatever happens uh, in the Big Ten tournament. So it's crazy to me that we're talking about this the first week of January because the expectations of this team coming into this season were, man, I, I kind of hope they get into the NIT. Right. And it's perhaps we, and how we, maybe, maybe we didn't give enough credit, but how could we, given the last couple of years? We had no idea how Katie Bates Diop was going to you know, come back basically after missing you know, a year and a half, two years of, of you know, to injury. Uh, we had no idea how CJ Jackson was going to handle being the, the primary ball handler. Even Jay Sean Tate's had his own health issues with both of his shoulders. Mm-hmm. You know, we had, we just, we had no idea how the new staff was going to convince the, all these guys that they didn't recruit to buy into their system. Obviously the infusion of Caleb Wesson and Kyle Young, Andrew Dockage has, has been proved to be beneficial, but it's, it's all, it's best case scenario across the board right now. Yeah, and one thing that I've mentioned a couple times on here and on the site is that when you look back at last year's team, everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong for them. And I'm not just talking about, you know, Kata Bates-Diop's injury. Uh, I'm talking about the fact that, you know, they lost seven or eight games by one or two possessions. This is a team this season that if you're telling me they're getting down uh, to the last minute, last two minutes in the scores within six points. Like I have faith in them coming back and, and giving themselves a chance to win where I didn't have that last year. And, and I, I just feel like if we're going to be optimistic and say, they're going to go 23 and eight in this regular season, I think it's warranted because all of the evidence so far from this team has shown us that they're getting better. They had two double digit leads, including up to 17 that they ended up losing. But since those losses, they've just looked like a much more focused team, their their depth is in, in, increasing, especially as you start to get Micah Potter back, as, uh, as Kyle Young starts to play a little bit more. They just look like they're learning from all of the bad stuff that they've gone through, not only this season, but last season. And they're just becoming a more complete battle-tested team. Right, and there are there are talented kids on this team. There are, there are some high-rated recruits. Kata Bates-Diab, I think, was a top-50 recruit. Jay Sean Tate, four-star recruit. 
you know, Kyle Young and Caleb Wesson, both high, high major recruits. You know, there's, it's not like they're lacking for, for talent totally. It's just there's been so much turnover the last couple of years. The plane has just shifted so much on what do we what do we expect from this team on a night in and night out basis. And there's consistency night in and night out across the board. You know, there seems like a clear hierarchy. Everyone knows that Kate is the best guy on the team. Get him the ball. But let's also keep the ball moving. You know, everyone's getting their shots. Then defensively, they seem to be seem to be on a string more, maybe more consistent day in and day out. And it's it's been beautiful to watch so far, which I haven't said since maybe <laughs> the Debler days. Who, who knows? <laughs> to the Debler days. Wow, that's a long time. Um, yeah, I, you know, the one thing that you know you mentioned Caleb Wesson and how he kind of struggled earlier in the game. He only finished with eight points on four of nine shooting, but they made a concerted effort to get the ball into him down low, despite the fact that you would think that being not in the best shape and being a freshman that Michigan State's bruising style wouldn't be, you know, advantageous to him scoring. But like you said, he missed some shots down low, but I don't even know that it matters as much because the fact that Wesson has shown that he can be a force inside and can score with some different moves opens up the rest of the floor. So players like KBD or or CJ Jackson or Jay Sean Tate or Cam Williams or Andrew Dockage can make something yeah. happen because in the we haven't had a big man on the Ohio State team who could draw interest, uh, you know, and, and require an occasional double team in a long time. And I think that that's going a long way to giving the talent that the Buckeyes have on the wings a lot more space to work with than they've had in the past because as much as I love Trevor Thompson, he was a slight dude. I mean, he could he could dunk and he could rebound a little bit, but he wasn't a big offensive threat that required constant attention. And that's why you saw guys like Mark Loving kind of struggle at times because the attention was always on the perimeter rather than being on the inside. Now that they've got Caleb Wesson underneath, and even if he's still a work in progress, and he certainly is, he's done enough to warrant um, considerable attention from defenses, and that's only made the players on the outside better. You mean Amir Williams wasn't that throw it down to him, get a bucket type of guy? Hey, hey, dude is still playing professional <laughs> basketball, so yeah. I am not going to hate on Amir Williams. Yeah, yeah keep getting him checks, man. Good for him. Yeah, uh, both. Yeah, in, all, in, in all seriousness, yeah, you're right. Um, perhaps this is Chris Holman looking into his crystal ball and thinking, yeah, maybe Caleb throwing it to Caleb isn't the best thing to do right now, but he's my breadwinner next year probably when Kate beats Diop and Jay Sean Tate aren't around anymore. You know, yeah. um, he's, he's definitely getting better. You can see the touch. You know, he's, there's been a couple of games I watched where his range has been extended to three-point land. Yeah, let's not do that too often, though. Right, yeah, I agree. And then the only other times I can think of maybe probably specific to this game that Ohio State got a little stagnant offensively, and I'm really picking at things right here, is uh, when guys like C.J. Jackson and, and not as much Andrew Dockage, but mostly C.J. Jackson or, or KBD or Tate kind of settle for stuff on the outside and instead, instead of trying to slice up the defense – and get the ball in the lane through, through dribble penetration and just giving the ball another way to spread around the court. But yeah, Caleb Wesson's coming along. Uh, the range is there. He's got the family bloodlines. Even his brother played a little bit today, did, did some good things. So it's, it's nice to see everyone contributing and the uh, future's looking good right now. Absolutely. Well, this was a fun game. Like you said, um, we're recording this just, I mean, less than an hour after the game ended and, and it's something to enjoy. They, they did a mini court storming afterwards and it's fun to see excitement in the Buckeye basketball program, which we haven't seen in a long time. And this is a, we'll end on this, you know, very semi-related thing. Despite all the winning that we get from the football program, 
dating back to the Trestle era and even a lot of times in the uh, JT Barrett era of the Urban Meyer tenure, the games haven't exactly been exciting. The wins are exciting, but the Mm -hmm. games themselves are like a little bit torturous. You're like, oh, come on, man, just run the ball or just do this, you know, whatever. It's not uh, they're not the exciting games that you want to sit down and watch. This game against Michigan State was that. So hopefully we'll have more of that from the basketball time, basketball team this season. Urban Meyer was in the house. So maybe he says, hey, exciting is good. Uh, running <laughs> the zone read up the middle 20 times uh, is not exciting. Let's get more of this fun stuff. But either way, a great win, a historic win. Chris Holtman becoming the first coach to beat number one teams in back-to-back years at different schools since Thad Mata did it, coming from Xavier to Ohio State. Um, So definitely something very cool going on there. But congratulations to the Buckeyes. It'll be a lot of fun to kind of see if they can live up to our expectations at 23 and 8 the rest of this season. But I'm definitely going to be enjoying watching it. Yeah, well, it's going to be a fun ride uh, the rest of the season. I'm actually looking forward to seeing how it plays out, which is something I haven't been able to say the last couple years. Absolutely not. Well, thank you for listening to this Ohio State basketball episode of Hangout in the Holy Land. You can find all episodes of the podcast on LandGrantHolyLand.com, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your daily dose of podcast goodness. So for Grant Freaking and everyone at LandGrantHolyLand, I'm Matt Tamanini. You can follow Land Grant on Twitter at LandGrant33. So enjoy this Maryland game coming up later this week. And we'll be talking to you more about the Buckeye basketball team here on the podcast and on the site. And as always, go Bucks. <laughs>